Hello and welcome to the How Data Should Work podcast, a podcast series from Capgemini Canada that seeks to bring a practical, business-focused lens on the often complicated world of data and analytics. I am your host, Stephen Cron, Vice President and Head of Insights and Data at Capgemini Canada. I'm quite excited uh, for our tip podcast today as it's a topic that uh, I'm very passionate about. Actually, two topics topic of Canada and the topic of the business of data. And just to level set here a little bit, the, the data analytics software market in Canada, and so this is purely just software, so software without the services layered on top, is north of $2 billion based off the most recent findings from IDC. And in this market today in Canada, we see you know very dominant hyperscalers, we see some maturing uh, pioneers as well as disruptive startups. And I think the implication for Canadian businesses in terms of how do you effectively manage OPEX and CAPEX spending associated with data hasn't been this difficult in many, many years. So in today's episode, we thought it'd be helpful and perhaps a little bit fun to discuss some strategies to improve the speed to value and improve the bottom line of managing data within an enterprise. And as you can hear, you know, I personally love talking about the topic of the business of data in Canada, but I'm also very delighted to be able to bring on a guest today who not only shares that passion, but is also a veteran of the software market in Canada, Ryan Hill from Databricks. Ryan serves as the vice president and country manager of Databricks in Canada, and he spent nearly his 20-year career now focused on bringing the right tech, software, data, platforms, and cloud solutions to Canadian businesses. So Ryan, Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Would you mind sharing your story with, the, with our audience here, please? Yeah, first off, thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. I'm also very passionate about the Canadian um, technology market as well as data. The bulk of my career has been focused around working for technology companies and primarily um, early day startups, or earlier day startups, um, and helping them build their presence in, in Canada is really where my career has been focused, especially for the last, you know, call it 12 years. That's fantastic. Thank you, Ryan. And before we get into some of the sort of the meaty questions that I have for you today, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit as well as we go through, perhaps we can um, do a little bit of, of an introduction of Databricks to, to the audience as well. I, I imagine most of the folks will have a very good understanding of, of Databricks, who you are, what you're all about. For those perhaps who are, are new to this space, would you mind introducing your company? Yeah, for sure. Databricks, I think a lot of people, when they think about Databricks, they think of the creators of Spark or relate, it, relate Databricks to Spark. But what Databricks really is, is the inventor of the concept of the lake house, where it's really bringing your data lake and your data warehouse all in one spot where you can do AI and machine learning um, and derive value out of that data. And that's really what our focus is. That's brilliant. Thank you, Ryan. So let's get started. And maybe the question that I have for you off the top is, what's your view on the uh, on the data business in, in Canada? You know, you've been in the tech field now for, for some time, specializing in, again, as we talked about, bringing the right solutions to Canadian businesses. And if you think about, Ryan, the market and the business of data in Canada, and you compare it to, let's say, our, our friends south of the border in the U.S., how would you categorize the Canadian data market today? Yeah, I would say it's definitely evolving and growing extremely quickly. I think what I've noticed, so in my in my time at, you know, Databricks, two and a half years I've been here, my prior time at Splunk, I think companies, especially in the last five years, 
There's obviously been hard economic times and they've been forced to try to do more with less. And a big part of that is having to leverage their data, which is, you know, one of the com- company's most valuable assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, you've, you've seen that, you know, with companies growing with their cloud maturity and, and starting to do more with artificial intelligence, machine learning. I think we're, we're still behind our U.S. counterparts. Um, and I really think about it comes down to kind of three things. It's really cloud maturity. I think for for Databricks, we're, you know, we were born in the cloud, so we need customers' data to be in the cloud to really leverage it. And I would say Canadian companies in comparison to the U.S. are still early on in their cloud journey. Um, I think we're seeing that grow and you're seeing, you know, whether it's uh, Microsoft, Google, or Amazon, those companies are all growing at a rapid pace in Canada as well. And, and that's really because Canadian companies are, are you know, get going further along in their cloud maturity journey. The other reason why I think that we're a little behind is it's a, it's a resource thing. So I think that it's really hard to find data engineering and data science resources in Canada. I think it's a struggle in the US, but I think even more so in Canada. So I think that, that mm-hmm. has lagged the journey behind. And then I think Canadians in general tend to be a little bit more risk adverse. I've just been covering just Canada um, this year, but prior to that, I was covering the Pacific Northwest. Um, so had the U.S. as well. And I find U.S. companies have more of an appetite to go kind of all in right from the start, where Canadians seem to be Canadian companies seem to be more of a dip your toe in the 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 water <laughs> type approach. Um, so I'd say those are kind of when I contrast the markets, it's really those three things, cloud maturity, the resourcing piece, and then risk. You know, you're absolutely right. And I think the interesting thing of how you describe those three factors, you could probably take those three factors and copy and paste it into many different aspects of sort of the digital world in Canada, right? Mm-hmm. So be it, it's not really only applying to data, but it really applies to um, digital transformation. It also applies to uh, digital customer adoption. There's like so many different things where you can uh, take those three uh, three categories that you succinctly put together and, and apply it many different places. Now, Ryan, one of the reasons I, I really wanted your take on this is, you know, I personally have seen certainly a degree of maturing of the you know the market here in Canada as it relates to you know data and really the understanding of data. You know, as I go into conversations with you know CIOs and the you know vice presidents and senior vice presidents of data and analytics at various businesses across Canada, the question no longer is, how do I convince my enterprise to to invest in data and to invest in unlocking the value of data? The question is really more now around how do we do that, right? As opposed to if we do that. I think where the question remains or where some of the gaps remain today is just exactly what that journey looks like. How do you do that? And in a risk and adverse environment like in Canada, where you're not gonna necessarily launch a, a large scale multi, 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 multi million dollar data transformation from the get go. It's around how do you potentially start small, build a bit of a snowball effect, get that momentum and muscle memory built in your organization for unlocking the value of data and then really trying to scale to an enterprise level in kind of a incremental way, if you will. And I was curious to get your take on this question of how have you seen these conversations, you know, with businesses in Canada evolve over the last five years? What what are you, you know what are the the senior leaders that you're interfacing with and, and Databricks interfacing with asking for now? What are the questions you're asking for now uh, versus what are they've been historically asking? It's different in the sense that I think 
the conversations, you know, in the last three to five years, I felt like when it came to, you know, data strategy, data in the cloud, it was it was very much more of like a science experiment, right? Like right. we're just trying some things, but maybe not putting that in production or are we even going to do that or go down that path? And I think it's it's happening, right. right? We are at the very start of that data revolution, I think, in terms of the Canadian market. Um, yes. And we're just scratching the surface of what we can do from an innovation perspective. I think when it talk, one of the conversations that I'm having with executives on, on where to get started is, I think you do need to have some sort of a data strategy, mm-hmm. right? What are we, what do we want to do with our data? What are we hoping to accomplish? I think if you don't understand the outcomes or what the value is, then it will stay a science project. So I think you have to start there. Um, I think for a lot of companies, the data is still siloed. Right. right? So I think you need to make the data accessible is, is kind of that first step. And I think it would make it, I think you have to, you have to start small, right? So, you know, understanding what that outcome is, what is that first thing that we want to solve for? Mm-hmm. Start there, prove that out, see success. And then I think then you can start to replicate it. And and I think that really starts to drive that momentum when you can show the enterprise at, you know, the C-level and the board level, the value that you're actually driving. And we're seeing customers, um, you know, at Databricks where we're seeing, you know, nine, 10 figure, um, you know, whether it's, you know, revenue generation or cost savings, right. um, we are delivering that kind of value. And I think that does get the C-level and board's uh, attention. So, but I think it's really those things, right, is having a strategy, um, you know, make the data accessible and, 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 and start small and show value. I think that's, those are really kind of where yeah. I see companies starting down that journey and, and being successful. I agree with you. I think what you're essentially saying is, you know, you need to have a plan and you need to have a good sense of, of where you're going and where you'll prioritize. Um, and the, 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 you know, the, the approach that we may have seen five years ago, which is let's experiment, let's see how far we get and then kind of figure out what we do next. I think that can sort of certainly work in, in pockets, but if you're really looking at fundamentally, you know, transforming the maturity of data in your business, fundamentally maturing your ability to get um, insight out of data that you maintain in either legacy on-premise systems or hybrid cloud or whatever it may be. There really needs to be a plan. There really needs to be a plan that's connected to business priorities and a, a clear roadmap that will help you get there as well. Would your advice be any different if there's a an enterprise, let's say, already progressing through you know, some level of, of journey in terms of that data maturity, clients and businesses in Canada, who let's say have a, a very complicated hodgepodge in terms of their data uh, technology stack today. You know, we're talking, let's say legacy on-premise to do clusters with some kind of foot into the cloud in terms of a cloud data lake or data platform. And in some of those cases, you might have, you know, 20% of your data in, uh, in the cloud, but 80% of it still re- remains on legacy on-premise. And, what would your advice be to a client that's, let's say, started that journey, tried to make a foray into moving data into the cloud, may not have, let's say, realized some of the anticipated value immediately, and are now kind of rethinking what their path forward would look like? I think, if I understand the question correctly, I think, you know, one of the things that I, when they're going down that journey or things that I would make sure that they would consider is, you know, touching back, making sure they understand what the the outcome is, what are they trying to solve for? 
and more technology and buying more doesn't usually solve for that when you don't know what the outcome you want is, right? Yes. So I think that the customers we see that fail is that they don't clearly understand what they're trying to accomplish, right? They just bought yeah. a technology without really knowing what they're trying to do. Yeah. I think, you know, the other thing that I see where customers fail is they just try to do what they did on premise and then do that in the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. I had a data warehouse on premise, you right. know, and now I'm just doing the exact same thing in the cloud because that's what I know. So, you know, what we would call a lift and shift. Right. right? But I think you have to, you know, kind of reimagine your data landscape, reimagine your technology landscape. And I think that's really, you know, what the Lakehouse says is, is trying to do is saying, don't just do a data warehouse the way you did it. Just don't do a data lake the way you did it. Consider, consider a different paradigm of how you approach yes. your data and encourage customers to make sure that, you know, what they're looking at is open. It's an open stack. I think any customer would talk about the, you know, the vendor lock-in in the days past of Oracle, et cetera. And so I think open platforms are really important. And I would really make sure that you're you're looking at multi-cloud. I don't think you want to be single-threaded in anything, right? Mm -hmm. um, different cloud providers do different things well. Um, yes. I think there's also a leverage point of not having all your all your data with one provider. Um, you know, I saw that firsthand at Splunk, right, where we had all had all of our data on one cloud and we knew eventually as a company as an organization we had to go to multi-cloud um yeah. and i think i'm seeing that and hearing that from from customers so i think those are really the ones right so rethink of i so said if i had to summarize would be don't just do lift and shift you know rethink on how you're approaching your data you know make sure it's open and i would make sure that it's multi-cloud and really understand what are the outcomes you're trying to drive and start with those and then work backwards instead of, you know, I bought the technology. Now what outcome am I trying to drive? That's great. That's great advice. That's advice that many clients would pay us for at Capgemini to provide <laughs> as well. And I think you summarized it very well. You touched on something that I, I'm very passionate about in the world of data, because just like yourself, we have definitely seen this pay dividends in terms of uh, you know the impact from a dollars and cents perspective on mm -hmm. the cost to manage data, and that mm -hmm. is the the data lakehouse, right? I think this has been a really um, significant uh, entry into the into the data ecosystem world, if you will. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, roughly you know five six years ago now, and and Databricks is was absolutely one of the pioneers of of the data lakehouse. Now, if this is a new concept for a listener today. How would you describe what uh, what actually is a data lakehouse? I would say Databricks definitely was at the forefront of the lakehouse concept. I think what how I always would explain to lakehouse, maybe for someone who wasn't familiar with it, is um, you know there was companies had a data lake, started going mm -hmm. down this path, and they had a data warehouse. They were expensive, cumbersome. You know, it was difficult for organizations to maintain, and they we needed something different and you need to rethink that paradigm. And I think that's where the Lakehouse came in. It's really combining um, your data lake. So yes. you know, where you store your data in the cloud and your data warehouse, combining into one platform um, and making that data um, easily available and accessible that you could do machine learning, artificial intelligence on top of the data to drive business value. Um, and I think just bringing that all under one platform is really the Lakehouse concept. Yeah. You're right. It is a it's a very interesting concept, right? Because it really just kind of mashes together these two 
uh, very uh, dominant ways of thinking about data in terms of data lakes as well as data warehouses and try to bring the best of both worlds under one very flexible and, and sort of scalable approach to, to managing data. What's your view on a lake house being future-proof? Is that even possible in the world of, of data and technology to, to have a, a, an underlying platform, data platform that is future-proof? And do you believe you know, organizations that, let's say, adopt and implement a, a well-architected lake house can future-proof themselves and have that lake house grow with them as they grow, merging in, for example, not just structured data, but unstructured data, not just you know IT data, but also potentially OT data or field data. Mm -hmm. Do you think that provides a degree of quote unquote future proofing? I think it does. You know, it kind of goes back to the one point I that I brought up early, and I think earlier, and I think it's really around the importance of open platforms. Yes. Um, I think you know it's really important for companies to avoid proprietary platforms. Um, I think it. There's a lot of companies that would say that they had that vendor lock in the past and it was very expensive and very painful to get off. So I think Databricks really being born in that open source community, we open source a lot of our components of our Lakehouse platform. Yeah. So I think making sure that it's open does help future-proof it because it makes it easy to integrate with technologies that we don't know will be coming out in the future. Um, yeah. We have a very broad ecosystem of, of companies and partners that we work with um, that integrate easily and openly with our platform. Um, I think that, you know, we'll continue to be able to be flexible yeah. and, and work with other companies. And it's something that I really enjoy that, you know, we are really, you know, we work with all the major cloud vendors, right? And right. a whole bunch of a large technology ecosystem and being able to provide customers with that choice and flexibility is something that I'm a big fan of. And, and I know our customers are too. I completely agree with you. And I think it's not just anecdotal thoughts that, uh, that you're expressing. I think the track record and the evidence in the market sort of speaks for itself. From sort of my vantage point, if you will, I do see that maturity um, progressing in, in the financial services space in Canada. Mm -hmm. We see that maturity progressing in the sort of the tech and telco media space as well in Canada. There may be some other organizations and very much generalizing here, let's say in the the world of um, energy, utilities that are just about to sort of start this journey, maybe not as progressive as, let's say, banks, credit unions, uh, telco providers in this country as well. But what we've seen from those, let's say, organizations that were early adopters and moved to cloud, moved data into the cloud, those that went down the road of closed systems, closed platforms, mm -hmm. are now reaching the point where they're unwinding that, right? They're rethinking that because that closed platform approach is really um, increase the cost of managing data and managing data effectively. And it's not only increased the cost, but it, in many ways, that data has become more locked in and a little bit more rigid because, for example, you don't necessarily get the ability to empower business users with that, uh, that level of timely insights when the platform is a little bit more closed. And if the platform is a little bit more closed, the amount of talent that's available in the market in Canada to effectively serve and manage that that operating stack is also diminishing yeah i would i would definitely um agree with you and i think you know we've seen that across the board i'm glad that we're seeing the same things <laughs> so you know you touched on something that i think is is perhaps not well understood in terms of if you're looking at it from a dollars and cents perspective mm -hmm. in terms of how do you really drive down the cost of 
um, managing data in your business? How do you maximize and, and lower that, that OPEX spend? Certainly, how do you become more prudent with the CapEx? And I think that's always a conversation at hand for senior leaders in IT and data in our, in our, in our country. The concept of, I think, open source, I think that's understood now. The concept that perhaps may not be clearly yet understood in mass today in Canada is the value of having a, a multi-cloud approach to uh, managing your data and managing your data in the cloud. Would you like to speak to why, from a data perspe Bricks perspective, sorry, you've seen that uh, really be sort of an important uh, foundational element uh, in an organization as it thinks through its maturity of, of managing data? In Canada, it definitely is <clears throat> probably a little bit more immature because, you know, as mm -hmm. we talked about, you know, earlier on that customers are still kind of early days in their um, cloud maturity journey. But I think as customers mature more and as they go on that, you know, go further down that curve, I think multi-cloud, it's not if, it's just when. Right. right. I think companies that as they become more mature will be multi-cloud. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, too, that these cloud providers, everyone does different things better than others. Right. Right. So just as we've made choices for other technology stacks that, hey, this is the best thing for this. You know, I think companies will look at cloud providers the same way. I do think that there is probably the one point that nobody wants to talk about as much, but I think there is this leverage piece, right? It's that vendor lock-in. I don't think you want to be locked in right. all your data in one vendor. Um, I think having that spread across, I think that, you know, provides, you know, that, that competitive nature between the cloud companies and making sure that you're maximizing your value. I'm working with a few clients right now, very large Canadian brands where that is a absolute requirement. Right, that we need to be able to leverage your technology stack across multiple clouds, not just not just one provider. And I think it's a known thing where you know we have a great relationship with all of the cloud providers, and they're all actually investors in Databricks. So I think you can go across the 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 major cloud providers, and yes. uh, and and we do it, and our customers will too. I think so as well. And, you know, I, I promised my team that we wouldn't get too nerdy here. I think the right <laughs> threshold was 10% nerdy. But I think this is an area I would love to just get a little little bit nerdy on here in terms of let's really um, visualize for, for, for our listeners what a multi-cloud uh, multi uh, approach to managing data in the cloud could look like. And I think if I, if I think through it, you know, what's a very simplistic way of thinking through a multi-cloud cloud approach. The way mm -hmm. I always like to describe it, Ryan, and I love your take on it afterwards is, let's say there's you know roughly three three layers to your your overall uh, data platform, right? You have your your underlying data warehouse. You might then have the current model at data lake on top of that, and this is you know the data warehouse sort of storing uh, storing that data, the data lake sort of processing that data, getting it ready for the analytics, and then you have the you know the analytics layer at the top of that um, that top of that pyramid, if you will. Um, essentially getting the data visible and actionable for business users. So when you look at a multi-cloud approach, what's the recommendation from Databricks? Are we talking about, let's say, having the data warehouse in one cloud provider, having then a, a merged approach to how you store and, and process data with a lake house, having that in another provider, and then potentially a, a third provider for serving up that real-time analytics? Is that the way you typically describe what a multi-cloud environment for unified data looks like, or is there a typically a different story or a different approach? 
I think that covers it. I would say it differs depending on the organization. Yeah. Right. How they're structured um, can depend on how you architect that multi-cloud strategy. Yes. Right. Um, I think the multi-cloud strategy can, I think data residency can play a factor in that. That's fantastic. So now let's talk about dollars and cents, because I think that's mm -hmm. an area where there is a lot of uh, interest, especially from organizations that we see in Canada that really want to understand, you know, if I go down this road of a enterprise lake house, what does that actually do to my bottom line? What am I actually potentially freeing up in terms of productivity, in terms of computational or storage costs? Help me understand, you know, what what's that baseline of savings that one can anticipate? It really depends on, on several factors. It depends on, you know, where your data lives today, and is it in a unified data warehouse? Do you have it spread across a multitude of, of, of platforms? It depends on certainly the type of data that you're looking to move into the lake lake house, whether that's structured data, unstructured, and how much processing that data needs to do. So there's mm -hmm. a variety of different factors like that. But I know Databricks being a pioneer in the world of data lake houses, there's a tremendous track record there of seeing clients and seeing organizations adopt this very new paradigm shift in terms of managing data with lake houses. Do you generally have a bit of a guideline for the senior leaders that you're talking to in Canada around what can they expect from ROI and speed to value through the adoption of a data lake house? I break it down into three main areas. I, I like to do threes a lot. Um, <laughs> but I think there's there's the Initial one, this is true from, I think, going on-premise to cloud for any solution, is I think there's the hardware and software component. Um, companies usually see savings, you know, just off the top on moving to the cloud. That usually sees some savings by just going to the cloud. Um, and the benefits of cloud in general, the elasticity of you only pay for what you use. Yes. Um, so I think customers usually see savings in, in that area. Um, I think the second area is really around, you know, productivity. So... Um, productivity around your team and resourcing. So going from on-prem to the cloud, on-prem systems usually are very difficult and complex to manage. Um, right. And taking away some of that complexity of not having to manage the the hardware component to the same level that you did um, and upgrades of the software, et cetera, moving to the cloud, there's usually some productivity benefit. Right. And the third one that we usually measure and I see customers benefit from is the the business impact side. If I am an energy company and I'm able to predict a failure in my plant before it happens um, and avoid a, a costly shutdown that costs millions of dollars, yes. there's, which is a real example for a Databricks customer here in Canada, that's millions of dollars in savings. And usually that business outcome piece is where they're seeing the biggest return, right? We have another customer in Canada right. where heating the pipeline if you can dial that in and predict what it should be um just within a you know a degree you're paying less on heat and, and as also can drive millions uh dollars in savings which is another real life use case that we have so yeah i really i really say those those three areas but that business if you can that what is that impact of the business piece um can really be that nine ten figure type yeah. generator savings and that's the big one 
You're absolutely right. And I love the way you summarize it. I'm going to I'm going to borrow that from you going forward. But when I do borrow that for you from you, I'm going to refer to it as Ryan's rule of three. And I think that's perfect. So taking a look at it from, a you know, the technology stack itself, the hardware, the software. And you're right. There's an immediate savings from just shifting that that technology stack into the cloud. There's that productivity piece. And I think what you really touched upon there is to unlock the the productivity savings that would be gained from looking at uh, a shift into a cloud lake house don't overlook the ability to really maximize your operating model around that right because there's new ways of now serving the business new ways of serving um, the organization i think that's a important piece as well and you're right perhaps the most difficult part of that rule of three to quantify because it could be e exponential really is the impact to the business, right? You refer to the example of of um, eliminating downtime on a plant. And I think there's several other examples of that as well, where, you know, in a lake house, for example, with one of our clients that we work with, we have a client who was able to unlock hidden customer insights by taking legacy on-premise customer data, merging it with some other customer data that they had in a cloud data warehouse, bringing it into a data lake house. And when they did that, they found out new insights about their customers. They found out really how to personalize the promotions and marketing um, uh, marketing sort of options for different customers as well in a way that they historically have, haven't been able to. And I think the, the stat that I saw from them is they were able to increase upgrades uh, in terms of moving customers from a lower tier to higher tier offerings by 30% by just purely having that more holistic view of a customer in a lake house. And I think that's an example that can repeat itself in, in many other industries. So oftentimes the impact to the business of moving to a lake house is not clearly defined or perhaps not well understood, but it is absolutely there. But it all revolves around make sure it's well architected and make sure that your operating model is evolving with that adoption into a lake house. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. We've seen, I think, data in the past with, you know, being on-prem was so siloed. And so just getting access to the data was just impossible. So now bringing mm -hmm. it into one one place and having that, leveraging that lake house paradigm, making that datable um, accessible unlocks right. all this potential. And the reality is, you know, you've heard people say data is the new oil or whatever, however you want to term it. I mean, data really is. Um, company's most valuable asset, um, that and their and their people, in my opinion. So um, I think being able to actually access it is is now unlocking all these amazing use cases that yeah. um, you know are are driving real value for companies. And you know, given the economic climate and and which has been tough globally, yes. right? These are forced to do more with less, and and data can really help them do that. And and you know, there's lots of platforms out there that can help them. And yeah. I, I see Bricks as, as, as one of them as well. Fantastic. So Ryan, maybe in closing, what we can do is provide our audience with some insights gained uh, from, from our experiences of helping clients and organizations in Canada make this migration and make this move into lake houses. I'd love to get your take around, you know, those lessons learned. You know, when when has the adoption into a lake house gone very well, and those expectations to the businesses are have been addressed. The expectation amongst the C-suite really been addressed. And where have you seen some mistakes made in terms of that journey and that migration from legacy on-premise warehouses into a more unified enterprise lake house? And so that 
as organizations are perhaps considering this journey themselves, they mm -hmm. uh, have the opportunity to really understand how did they set themselves up for success here and how do they really, again, maximize the value and the impact that Lakehouse can have? If I had to summarize it, I think it's usually not a technology problem or a lack of technology. It's usually mm -hmm. a people and, and process thing for organizations. What is our yes. data strategy? You know, how are we going to democratize our data and making sure you have the right foundations in place with the right team? I mean, five years ago, you never really heard of a, a CDO, a chief data officer, right? Right. You're seeing companies put that in place or uh, innovation teams that are, you know, full, just purely focused on driving innovation. So I think it's starting with that, that foundation of the strategy and, and having the right people in place. And then it's moving to what are we actually trying to achieve? What yes. outcomes are we trying to drive to? And then it's, you know, what technology stack is going to help us do that. And that's really where we talked about earlier as well, that, I really want to make sure that it's that it's open. Yep. Um, I think you want to make sure that it's that it's multi-cloud, and and I think that you you know you want to work with companies that are are focused on on driving innovation. So I think if you go start there and go down again, I'll, I'll just, we'll bring it back to the three. It's the people and process. It's then once you have that in place understand it's then it's what outcomes we're actually trying to drive and right. then what technology can help me um, deliver on those things. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And I, I would add a couple things just to, to summarize really effectively what you've said. And I'm going back to something you said at the start of the conversation, right? It's if your expectation and anticipation is you're going to take what you do today on premise or in a, in a data warehouse in the cloud and just port that over to a lake house, that's the wrong expectation to have. Right? Mm -hmm. it, is, it is truly a paradigm shift, right? It's the merging of these two worlds around data warehouses and data lakes coming together. You have to be ready as an organization for that change. Understand it is a change. Understand that that requires mm -hmm. changes to the operating model, changes to um, perhaps the service delivery model as well. And having that understanding from the get-go will really ensure that you're just not doing like for like. You're not doing a lift and shift, as you said but you are really uh, in a position to take advantage of something new, something different. And I think you know you, that's an important piece to have as well. And something else we touched on in terms of how do you really make sure that migration is aligning with the needs of the business, ultimately prioritize into the areas of your value chain that, that perhaps are needed a degree of prioritization. It also comes then down to really ensuring that that future state is well architected have a clear understanding of what your data landscape looks like today. All the mm -hmm. different pieces, all the things that are hidden under rocks, all those little, you know, mini little data warehouses that a segment of your business may be running off to the side. Uncover all of those things, pull back the carpet, really understand where you are today. And then that will help you ensure that as you articulate the, the future state and that uh, conceptual architecture of what a lake house would look like, you really have a good sense of where you can prune, what you really need to transfer over, what data really needs to come over, what platforms and tools created in these data warehouses really need to come over. But take the advantage of this opportunity to prune those things that are no longer providing value, that are just incurring technical debt. And if you take that approach to pruning off the top as well, I think you set yourself up for, for success in addition to you know the Ryan's rule of three that you talked about there.
Yeah, I would agree. I think the you know, on that architecture piece is one we see, you do need to align on an architecture and too often we see companies don't have that architecture well-defined. So everyone goes down these different paths and we still, so you end up in this same position of data being silos, the process and being followed and it still creates the same problems on the road. And the other one that I see a lot is I would tell organizations to make sure you invest in your people. Right. I see in the data space, very similar to my previous organization where security became the hottest thing, right? Yes. And so people are in roles before and they were, maybe they were data analysts and now all of a sudden they became your, your security person, right? right. But they never really had any formal training there. They just shifted into that role. And we see that kind of on the data side as well. And so yeah. I really encourage companies to, as these roles have evolved, I think we need to help the people evolve. And I think that comes investing in them and, and helping them, you know, enhance their skills for whatever role that you want them in. Um, right. And I think that's a really, really important piece that's often left out. Well, I know. I think what you just touched on is perhaps a, a third area where you and I share a mutual passion, which is around people and how do you create uh, an environment um, and have a culture that attracts in the best data analytics professionals and and really help them grow and and set them up for success in their career. And I think I feel like between you and I, we probably could go another hour into that topic <laughs> alone. <laughs> totally. But we might lose might lose some people for <laughs> on a two hour podcast. So um, I think why don't we why don't we wrap our conversation there, Ryan? It was such a pleasure to be able to to talk about this topic of the business of data in Canada with you. Um, it was really, really insightful to get the Databricks viewpoint around how the the uh, market has matured and what you've seen in terms of successful adoptions of, of lake houses, which again has been a terrific paradigm shift. And so thank you for making time for us and making time for this conversation. I truly enjoyed it. And I have a feeling our listeners uh, will as well. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. You can count on it, Ryan. On the next episode of the How Data Should Work podcast, we're going to be taking a look at some key trends in data beyond 2022. And to help us analyze these trends, I'll be joined by John Palazzolo from one of the most innovative data companies in the world today, Snowflake. I'm looking forward to the conversation, and I hope you are as well.